Welcome back as we continue to look at our study of lessons in obedience. We look at the life of Ruth and everything that God is doing in her life. Ruth chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start off in verse number 10 today. Last week, we were introduced to Boaz, who is the near kinsman of Elimelech, and we know and understand since we've started this lesson, that God has given us pictures of different things in the book of Ruth. One of those being Boaz himself as the near kinsman is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Ruth is a picture of the Gentile church. Naomi is a picture of the Jew. And uh, the other pic- the other. Uh, kinsman that is we're going to meet here in a couple of chapters or another chapter is a picture of satan himself but as we go through these we need to also look at or we're also going to look at uh, their character their human side of character and and compare that to Christ to their picture as well but um, last week we also saw god's provision in his instruction for israel about reaping their fields Um, and his guidance of Ruth to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. Uh, We learned a little bit about what biblical grace is and and saw Boaz begin to show the grace of God to this Moabitish damsel. This week we're going to see a little more of that, understanding that God is full of grace and mercy, and he uh, loves to be gracious and merciful. Um, Psalm 23, verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. God loves to bless his children uh, in a way to where we are, we are overflowing with blessings. And we're going to begin to see this as Ruth continues in her obedience to Naomi and her obedience to Boaz. We're going to see God begin to bless and bless abundantly. And... Uh, Naomi is going to, again, we're going to see her her attitude towards God begin to turn and begin to change and uh, begin to believe again. So Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come into a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let fall some also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not so she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley 
And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought to today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is an ear kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father God, we love you again and we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather and to hear your truth. Lord, I pray that it would enter our ears. Lord, that it would pass through and enter our hearts, that they would our hearts would be uh, open and fertile. Lord, that the, the thorns and the worries of today and this week would be removed that your truth can take root and it can grow in us lord that it can shape us and mold us into the men and women that you would have us to be i pray that you would speak to us today that you would convict us that you would show us what it is to be a christian so god please guide and direct today we love you and we thank you it's in jesus name we pray amen ruth asks a question in chapter in verse number 10 she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? She's just met the man and he's already done so much for her. He's allowed her to glean in her field. He's commanded her to stay there by the maidens. He's, he's given her the opportunity to go and drink of the vessels. He's gone above and beyond what God has commanded. And she is just extremely grateful. But she's also just very confused because she knows that she is not part of Israel and that Israel is to have no part of Moab. This was not something that was hidden from the Moabites. This was not something that was hidden from the nations around. They knew that God didn't like them. They knew that God was against them. And yet... Here is this Moabite damsel that has come back with Naomi and this Jewish man has shown her such mercy and grace. And Boaz's answer is simple. Your faith. Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not heretofore. The faith to follow God, the faith to follow Naomi back, to make her God Ruth's God, to make Naomi's people Ruth's people. In verse number 12 he says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel. Whose, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Because of your faith, God is rewarding you. 
you're a stranger in a strange land, but most importantly, you've placed your faith and trust in God for everything in your life. And God obliges His children when we give ourselves completely to Him. Again, we go back to the book of Judges. God turned the captivity of Israel when the people sought God's face. When the governors willingly sacrificed themselves among the people. But it's not just the faith. In this simple statement, Boaz again reveals his character. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, he is generous, compassionate, and full of hospitality. And he delights in blessing all his children. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee. 2 Peter 3.9 2 Peter, so Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As I've studied through this week, uh, my mind has gone back to this verse and several verses uh, throughout all the messages. And I love how God continues to tie these thoughts together and bring the Old Testament to the New Testament and, and just show through His Word that He is through all of it. And that it is, it is consistent. But God is willing to forgive. Even now in the book of Ruth, He is willing to let any and all in. It's not just the Jews. The Jews were supposed to be the people that took God's light to the world in order for them to know and understand who God was. That was always the plan. The rest of the world was considered heathen. They were following false gods because God had not spoken to their people. But God spoke to Abraham, and He spoke to Isaac, and He spoke to Jacob, and He spoke to the the generations to come of the Jews and they were supposed to take that message and go to the rest of the world. Instead, they hid that message in themselves and then ignored it. Even today, we are supposed to take that message to the world. John 3.16, we should know this. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Sorry. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. I am mixing. That is not good. It's about as bad as last night. I was trying to do too much math in my head. I'm trying to do too much scripture in my head. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10.13 is the next verse that I was going to go to. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Great grace. God has chosen to allow Ruth the Moabite to come in and be a part of Israel. And not even just to dwell with them. We're going to see, and we know the end of the story, that Ruth and Boaz end up getting married and, and raising children and, and 
Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself, in the lineage of David the king and Jesus Christ himself. But with great grace comes great responsibility. The work of faith has already taken place in Ruth. She has trusted the Lord to direct her, and he has. Now she must exercise her faith, for faith that is seldom used is weak. In verses 8 and 9, Boaz, last week we saw Boaz gave her a reward for her faith, but also a command to follow. Don't go to another field. Don't glean uh, among another field. Stay with my reapers. Stay in my field. Essentially, rest in my promises. Rest in what I have told you I would do. Have faith in that. This is a call to action for Ruth, and it's a picture of the church and the believer. God has given us so many promises. Christ himself has given us so many promises that we have to rest in those promises. We have to trust and believe that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And like her, we as the body of Christ have these responsibilities. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It's the Great Commission. This is the responsibility of every believer. This is the base responsibility of every believer. Every son of God, every daughter of God. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Go ye therefore... Go and teach. Teach all the nations. That's what Israel was supposed to do. They were supposed to be the light of God to show the world who God was. We're supposed to go and proclaim the Lord. In the book of Judges, Barak and, and Deborah went and proclaimed the righteousness of God. They, they rehearsed the things that God had done. Brother Bob, today, as he before he sang his special, gave his testimony. He rehearsed the greatest thing God has ever done in his life. Now, that's not the only great thing that God's done. I'm sure we could spend years going through everything that, brother, that God has done in Brother Grant's life, especially considering how long his life has been. I love you too, brother. I know we could go uh, for years in just the great things that God has done in my life and in each and every one of your lives. We need to be rehearsing those. We need to be repeating those. But Matthew 28, 19 is our basic responsibility. Go and teach who God is. When they've learned who God is, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Help them to take that first step in obedience to the command of God and then teach them to observe all things. Disciple them. Show them all of the promises, all of the, the things that God has asked them to do so that they can be a firm, sound believer so that they can continue on and go and teach and do all the things that God wants for us to do. That's our basic responsibility, but there's much more than that. And that basic responsibility can only be accomplished if we are a living sacrifice. Again, we're going to go back to Romans 12. We went there this morning in Sunday school, but Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable unto God. That's our reasonable service. That's the reasonable thing for somebody that's been given the gift of eternal life. In order to do that, we must not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by seeking God's word and allowing God to change what you've known. That is exactly what Ruth is doing here. She is seeking the Lord through Naomi, through Boaz, and allowing God to change her perceptions, allowing God to change what she knows of the world that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we looked at this back when we started the book of Ruth, that all that happened in Ruth chapter 1 with Elimelech and Naomi leaving the country and going to Moab, all of that with, with God keeping, uh, allowing uh, Malon and Kylion to marry and, and marry Moabites and, and keeping them from having children and bringing Ruth back so that she can meet Boaz, we know that this was the perfect will of God, that it was all for Ruth. All of that happened specifically because God knew Ruth's heart and knew that she would carry on and she would follow him and trust him and obey him and do exactly what he wanted her to do. Back in Genesis, we see God speaking to Abraham in the tent as he goes and and uh, he's getting ready, he's on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy them, and he stops and he's speaking to Abraham in the tent, and he won't hide from Abraham what he's going to do. And he says a very interesting statement. He chooses to tell Abraham what he's doing because he knows that Abraham will raise his children to follow God. That he'll raise his children right. Now, there is so much in the book of Ruth that pictures this living sacrifice that we find in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we're going we're gonna to look at that as we get to it, but I want to go back to Genesis 22 because this is another living sacrifice. Genesis 22. And verse number 3. Genesis 22 and verse number 3, speaking of Abraham. And Abraham arose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, that third day is important, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
And they came to the place which God had told them of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither go thy... Go do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. We go back uh, to verse number four. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. We know that that phrase on the third day is a direct tie-in with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We also can understand that in uh, verse number 12, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me, another tie-in with Christ on the cross. Verse number 13, the ram caught in the thicket is another tie-in with Christ. We see in the book of Revelation that Christ is called a ram. In a, a vision of John, John sees a beast with, uh, I think, ten heads and seven horns. and The ram comes up and destroys this beast. All of this ties in with Christ and His perfect sacrifice, but that's not the living sacrifice that I'm looking at. I'm looking at Isaac. There are a few things here that I think people miss when they read through this passage. If they haven't sat in a good Bible teaching church, they miss a few facts. The first being that Isaac was not a small child in this instance. And Abraham was not a young man. Now we know in Genesis 17 and verse number 17, Isaac is promised. This is again when when the angel of the Lord... Christophany is coming and speaking to Abraham and telling him what he's going to do as he's going to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll start in verse number 15. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? So here, Abraham is a hundred years old when God makes this promise. And Sarah is ninety. Skip down to verse number 21. God again speaking, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So in the next year, Isaac is going to be born. And God is going to establish his covenant with Isaac. So Sarah will be 91 years old and Abraham will be 101. Okay? Back in Genesis chapter 23 and verse number 1. This is just after all of this happened. There is some space of time there. We don't know exactly how long it is, but... In chapter 23, in verse number 1, it says, And Sarah was an hundred and seven and twenty years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. 
So the next time we see Sarah, she is a hundred and after Isaac is uh, offered, we Sarah is a hundred and twenty-seven years old. So she was ninety-one. She's now one hundred and twenty-seven when she died, which makes it thirty-six years. So Isaac was no older than thirty-six years old when he went to the mountain with Abraham. Isaac carried the wood up the mountain. He was strong enough, big enough, that he could carry all of the wood for the sacrifice up the mountain. I believe that he was a teenager somewhere between 13 and 27. Josephus, the Jewish historian, puts Isaac's age at 27 years old. If this is the case, it would be safe to say that there's no way that Abraham, who at this point is somewhere between 114 and 137 years old, could physically put him on that altar. I don't know. Have you guys, Brother Jesse, have you wrestled with your boys lately? I've messed around with mine a little bit, and they're getting a little stronger than they used to be. Now, they're still not nearly as strong as dad is but they're, they're getting there I don't know that I could force either one of them without knocking them unconscious I don't know that I could physically tie them up and place them on an altar and make them stay there Isaac willingly was bound willingly was placed on the altar knowing that they were sent there to do a sacrifice and it was a blood sacrifice. It wasn't going to just be a finger prick. Isaac put himself there willingly. We like to say that we're walking in faith and following God, but are we willing to place ourselves on the altar? So many of us and myself included, are really just straddling the fence. We've got one foot in the world and one foot following God, and whichever one we're standing on at the time is where we are. I, I tried to do the, uh, the object lesson down at the, the park for the, the kids' day, and obviously it didn't work very well the first time, but uh, proving that only faith in Christ can help us. When I stepped on the board that represented everything else, the board cracked and broke. It's time for us to get off the fence. It's time for us to stop dipping our toes in the water and jump in and give ourselves completely Ruth, as we will see, had no problem completely obeying those that God put in her life to direct her. She has no problem obeying what Naomi tells her to do and obeying what Boaz tells her to do. Even to the point of really humiliating herself. Making herself the lowest of the low. But we're not into that part of the, the story yet. Again, because of all of her faith, 
God is blessing her and Boaz is blessing her and he's giving her blessings of grace. As we continue on in Ruth chapter 2, at mealtime, Boaz isn't content to just follow God's command and let her glean. He chooses to bless Ruth far more than she can imagine. At mealtime, he allows her to go and to sit with the reapers to eat a meal that was prepared. That was never instructed by by God. He even serves her himself. He reaches her parched corn. He provides her meal. He provides her sustenance. And she's allowed to eat until she's sufficed. Something to notice here that's just free as a side note is that she was the first one back to work. She didn't sit around and talk with the reapers. She ate till she was sufficed. Then she got up and went back to work. She's not taking this grace that's being given her for granted. She's willing to be up and serving and doing. Boaz, as she leaves, gathers his reapers and tells them to allow her to glean even among the sheaves. The antique power show is going on in uh, in Marshall County today. And the sheaves are that grain that was already gathered, that was bundled together, that was ready to be moved to the floor, to be beaten out, to be to separate the kernel from the husk, to, to get the good and get rid of the bad. And that was a no-go zone. Again, that was not commanded. Israel was commanded to leave the corners of the field and to not reap or to not glean the field. They weren't commanded to allow the people to come and glean among the sheaves, among the work that's already been completed. But Boaz allows it. And then he tells his reapers something just completely out of character. Drop handfuls of purpose. Leave handfuls of grain. Work that you've already worked so hard for. Leave it for her. So that she can be blessed even more. But isn't this how God is? When he chooses to bless us, he always goes above and beyond what we could ever have expected. In the the introduction, we we read Psalm 23, verse number 5. How God prepares the table for, for, for me in the presence of mine enemies. He anointeth my head with oil. My cup runneth over. It's full to overflowing. God is just pouring out blessing after blessing on Ruth. And her effort is being rewarded. But there's a lot of effort. Verse 17 tells us that Ruth gleaned until the evening. She gleaned until it was dark. And then she had to beat out what she had gleaned. She had to take her sheaves and separate the grain from the chaff. And this was done by beating it with with, uh, sticks or stalks with sticks or a wooden hammer. This was a long day's work. Normally this, this um, this separation was done after the harvest was complete. The reapers would go and they would all gather together and they would all go through and beat out the grain. But she was doing it so that she had food for the day. And it was sufficient and even more. Ruth's work is complete for the day and she gathers all her grain and it's about an ephah. 
Now, for context, in the Jewish measuring system in the time of the Bible, ten omers make an ephah. And an omer, we find out in Exodus 16, 18, is what one person would gather to feed them for a day. Again, as Israel's going out to gather manna, each man gathered about an ephah and those that they had enough for them for the day. Today's measures, an ephah is roughly the same as a bushel. So corn and beans and wheat and all those are sold by the bushel and they're given a standard weight in the United States so that uh, the semi can drive in full, get weighed, go dump its grain, come back, get weighed empty, and they know how much grain was there. They know how much uh, to pay the farmer for. The standard weight of a bushel of corn is 56 pounds. That's a lot of weight. She carried almost 60 pounds of grain home to Ruth, or to Naomi. Now, just for context, you guys, uh, if you come in on Highway 210, you come in past Collins and past the elevator there, the big pile uh, of grain, of corn that was on the ground, that is an 850,000 bushel pile. So if that's 850,000 bushels, that pile would feed 8.5 million people for one day. That's the entire population of Iowa for almost three days. Now Ruth obviously didn't have that much, but she took home enough to feed her and Naomi for five days after one day's work. Her labor earned her a wage far better than the reapers that she worked beside. Those reapers would have taken home maybe two or three pounds of grain. Not even enough to feed themselves for a day. Possibly up to an omer, possibly enough for one person. But these blessings aren't just going to Ruth. And you guys have seen it, I'm sure, in your own lives, that when God blesses us, He doesn't just bless us. As God often does, it's not just Ruth who's the beneficiary of his grace. Naomi benefits as well. In a very short time, she has gone from being bitter with the Lord to praising him, to praising his name. Not only does she get to eat, but she begins to understand that God's provision in Boaz as a near kinsman. She goes on to explain that Boaz, <coughs> sorry, Ruth goes on to explain Boaz's command to stay in the field. And Naomi agrees that and Ruth goes and gleans in his field all the way through the barley harvest and through the wheat harvest. God has provided for both of these widows and it all the way through harvest. And it is worth noting here that the way he provided for both matches up with his instructions for the church that we find in 1 Timothy. Naomi here is also understanding that none of this would have been possible if Ruth had stayed in Moab. Because Naomi was old. She wasn't able to go out and provide in this way. 1 Timothy 5, 9-14. 1 Timothy 5, chapter 5 and verse 9. It says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. 
well reported of for good works, if she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work, but the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Now this is Paul writing to Timothy, telling them how the church should operate, and giving him instructions in how to take care of the widows. He says if a widow is under three score years old, is under 60 years old, don't take her into the church's responsibility. Let her go and marry. Let her find a husband so that he can provide for her. If she's over 60 years old, then take her in and and provide, have the church provide for her, have the people provide for her because she needs the help. All of this is pictured here in the book of Ruth. Now we know that this is not the end of Ruth's story, nor the end of her blessings. And I must repeat that all of this only happened because Ruth exercised her faith. She followed the directions of both Naomi and Boaz, never doubting, never turning aside. We understand that faith is not just trust, but trust and obedience. James 2. James 2 and verse number 14, and then we'll, we'll close. James 2 and verse number 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, And none of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Now we know, the Bible tells us, that salvation is by grace through faith and faith alone. That it is not of works, lest any man should boast. But true faith is always accompanied by works. True faith is always accompanied by works. You show your faith by how you live. Remember, the devils and Satan believe. They know who God is. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, they know who God is. They know who Christ was. We can go through time after time in the Gospels of the devils, Christ walking up to a man and the devil inside of him saying, Thou art the Son of God, and Christ casting him out. 
The difference is the devils who are going to spend eternity in hell are not walking in obedience. Faith requires works. It's not just enough to have faith. Salvation is by grace through faith and not of works lest any man should boast. The thief on the cross showed his faith. He proclaimed it to the world as he rebuked the other thief and Christ said, today thou wilt be with you in paradise. He had to do, thou wilt be with me in paradise. He had to do nothing else other than die. He didn't have that opportunity. But all the rest that have followed in faith have had to take that faith and put it to action and walk in that faith, exercising it so that it would grow, so that it would manifest itself in others. Sanctification, sanctification and life throughout eternity are only found in the works because of our faith. Let us not just be hearers of the word, but let us be doers also. Ruth exercised her faith. She had placed her faith and trust in God, in the God of Naomi, in the God of Israel, and she was being blessed. But she continued to exercise her faith, and she is going to be blessed beyond belief. Let us today exercise our faith.